So um, you probably picked up on this a little bit earlier with my enthusiasm, but I am a bit of a Bible nerd. Uh, just to prove my nerdery, I counted up this week, and I currently own um, 11 physical editions of the Bible, four digital editions, numerous commentaries on the Bible. They span 10 different translations in four different languages. Um, <laughs> I, and the thing is, I fell in love with reading the Bible really early in life. And reading scripture has always been one of the primary ways that I learn about God and I grow as a follower of Jesus. But that said, my attempts at engaging with scripture, while possibly impressive on paper, have not always been fruitful or healthy or from the purest of motivations. Uh, just as an example, to show you how I have sometimes twisted this very good thing, um, the first time I read the Bible all the way through, I was in elementary school. So that sounds really impressive, right? Until you know that uh, I did it because a Sunday school teacher said the first person who did it got a prize. And I suddenly discovered that this non-athletic person could be competitive about something. <laughs> so I blew through that as fast as I could. I checked off a box for every chapter I read, and I understood almost nothing that I was reading. Um, th when I looked back on it, I think the experience changed my life in a couple of ways. Uh, first, I added an extra stuffed animal to the pile next to my bed. It was my trophy for winning. Um, and my struggles with pride and perfectionism got a little bit more entrenched. <laughs> um, the, the good news that I get to proclaim to you today, and that I wish I could go back and proclaim to elementary school Leslie, is that the Bible isn't just a text for us to study. And it's not another checkbox on our good Christian to-do list. The Bible is a way to hear from God and to allow his spirit to do its work in our hearts and our minds. When we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, we're able to find our place in the story again and again. Now, last fall, we began working our way through Jesus' famous teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And this month, we've been focusing in on uh, a series we're calling the Scripture Story. We're looking at Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where Jesus shows us how he views Hebrew Scripture and he lays out a new lens through which we can interpret the Bible. So we're going to read this passage again together like we have the last couple of weeks. Jesus says, Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a really short but really revolutionary passage. <laughs> and Jesus is declaring that he hasn't come to throw aside this law that all of Jewish life and history have been based on. He actually came to fulfill it. He came to reveal through his own life, death, and resurrection what God had been up to all along. Jesus is the lens through which we can now interpret scripture. And as Brian pointed out in week one, when we look through that Jesus lens, we see that the whole point of the Bible is love from beginning to end. And then last week, Jeremiah had an incredibly compelling message where he laid out that Jesus actually redefined reality when he declared that he was the center of the story. Now, to be clear, Jesus says that Jesus is the center of the story, not Jeremiah, just in case 
that was unclear in that process. Wanted to clear that up. Um, <laughs> if you miss either one of those weeks, seriously, you, you need to go back and catch up on those online. They are so foundational, not just to the series, but to everything we're going to take a look at over the next year and a half as we continue to work our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So here's where we are. In the scripture story, love is the point. Jesus is at the center. So today we're going to take a look at a couple of follow-up questions that help us find our place in the story. And the first that we're going to look at is how does Jesus complete the storyline of the Bible? And then we're going to look at how does putting Jesus as the center of the story impact how we enter the story? So we're going to tackle that first one first. How does Jesus complete the storyline of Scripture? Jesus claims in this passage that he didn't come to throw out the law and the prophets. That's what we now know as the Old Testament. He actually fulfills it. He completes it. He makes sense of everything we read. So we already got a taste of this from uh, the intro to the Jesus Storybook Bible that I read earlier. But the Bible has always been one big story, and it all pointed to Jesus. Always. God creates humans to live in love alongside him in this beautiful world that he created. And he writes us in as a major character in his own love story. And at first, things start off great. But over and over again, we humans lose the plot. We try to wrestle the pen away from God. We try to go off and write our own side story. Sometimes we just want to opt out of the story altogether. And over and over again, God pursues us in love to invite us back in to assuming our role in the story. And we see this play out in Israel's story all throughout the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, they lose sight of the plot. They end up outside the garden. And then God brings humanity back into the story through a new covenant with Abraham and his descendants. But the people of Israel just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. They keep choosing this choose-your-own-adventure tangent, and they go off and write their own side story. And it takes them away from loving relationship with God, and it always ends up landing them in confusion and being lost or in painful circumstances. Like, you know, for instance, they, they end up in slavery in Egypt. They wander around in the desert for 40 years. Eventually, they're in exile in Babylon for a long period of their history. And there's a fancy Bible term for this bad habit of trying to steal the pen back from God and ending up in these confused, lost, painful kind of circumstances. It's called idolatry. Idolatry. Israel was constantly chasing after whatever shiny new idol was in front of them, and every time they did, they lost their place in the story. You know who else does this all the time? I do. (laughs) I do it, and you do it. We all do this. Because Israel's story is humanity's story. Israel was in need of a hero, and so were we. And so this is where the plot starts to thicken. Paul summarizes the climatic moment in the scripture story in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. At just the right time, the hero of the story, Jesus, he bursts from the page in living color and he vanquishes evil once and for all. Sins are forgiven, the power of idolatry is finally broken, and a new path to happily ever after is forged. I love the way theologian N.T. Wright describes this section of of Jesus' sermon. He says, Jesus wasn't intending to abandon the law and the prophets. Israel's whole story, commands, promises, and all, was going to come true in him. 
But now that he was here, a way was opening up for Israel and through that all the world to make God's covenant a reality in their own selves. Changing behavior not just by teaching, but by a change of heart and mind itself. Guys, like we talk about this all the time, but we do not want to miss how revolutionary this is. Jesus isn't up here giving a motivational speech about how we can all be better rule followers. He's inviting us into a whole new way of life where we get to experience moment-to-moment life-giving relationship with God, and it changes us from the inside outward. That's a plot twist. (laughs) That is not what the the Hebrew people were expecting in this story. Those of you who are are big readers, have you ever read a book where, like, the, the big reveal at the end is so unexpected, so shocking, that as soon as you finish the story, you want to turn to the first page and read back through the whole thing, trying to find, like, where were the breadcrumbs? Where were the clues? That this is where it was headed. That's basically what Jesus is inviting us to do in this section of the sermon. And when we do this, when we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, we get to rediscover our role in the story. Because that's what the Bible is. It's not just a text for us to analyze and study. And it's certainly not a checkbox on our to-do list. It's a way to hear from God and allow his spirit to work in our hearts and our minds. And when we read the Bible in this way, through the lens of Jesus, we get to find our place in the story again and again. Now remember, our second question for today is how does putting Jesus at the center of the story impact the way we enter the story? So to answer this one, I want us to take a look at a really interesting encounter that Jesus had with some disciples after his resurrection. Uh, the, the whole story is pretty long. Uh, you can read it in Luke 24, but I'm going to summarize most of it uh, today. Basically, uh, what happens is it's the first Easter Sunday. Jesus has just risen, and there are a couple of Jesus followers who are walking along the road to a town called Emmaus, and they're talking through all of the crazy stuff they've just experienced. And then this other man comes along, and he starts walking with them. So they start telling him the whole sad story about how Jesus, this leader that they'd pledged their lives to and they'd put all their hope in, had just been crucified, and all their hopes are dashed. But here's the thing. The man who's walking alongside them, it actually is Jesus. But the Bible tells us that for whatever reason, they are prevented from recognizing him. So check out what happens next. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead, but they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And after he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road, and when he explained the scriptures for us? See, here's the deal. Jesus had to open their eyes so they could see and understand that he was the center of the story. And if we want to be able to see Jesus at the center of the story and find our own place in the story, Jesus has to open our eyes to see and understand too. We have to be near him. We have to allow him to speak to us. Because the Bible isn't just a text to study. It's not a checkbox on our to-do list. It's a way to hear from God ourselves. And allow his spirit to do its work in our hearts and our minds. And if we want that, we have to choose to go beyond merely studying and analyzing the Bible. 
We have to be willing to invite supernatural intervention. Because research isn't what transforms people's hearts. God does. He does that when we allow him to reveal scripture's meaning to us in real time. So reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus, that's what helps us find our place and enter the story. And if you think this sounds a little different or like an unconventional or maybe even dangerous way of engaging with scripture, I just want to point out that this is actually the primary way that Christians throughout history have engaged with reading the Bible. It's starting with Jesus himself and the New Testament authors. We see this in Paul and the gospel writers all the time. They were constantly looking back at these Hebrew scriptures they'd grown up with and, and looking at them retroactively through the Jesus lens. And when they did that, they found meaning in them that the original Old Testament authors couldn't possibly have understood or intended. This is because they were allowing God's spirit to help them see what he wanted them to see. And then they wrote it down and they recorded it for us so we could see that too. Um, we see this a lot in Matthew. Uh, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and he has his own account of Jesus' life. Uh, there's one quick example where um, he's, he's telling his account of the Christmas story, and he quotes this, uh, this passage from the prophet Hosea, where Hosea said, I have called my son out of Egypt. Now, originally, Hosea's comment was actually talking about the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt, but Matthew connects it to this period of Jesus' life, those early years where he and his family had to, to flee and hide out in Egypt to avoid King Herod, who wanted to kill the baby. Now, why is, why is Matthew doing this? <laughs> because he's able to look at these texts that he'd heard his entire life through a new lens. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to reveal to him a deeper meaning, and he began to see echoes of Jesus all throughout the scripture. We see that over and over again as Matthew talks about Jesus, and he makes all these connections. Now, I want to offer a tip here, and this is super important. It is super helpful, and it's vital that as we're doing this, we're part of a community of people that are doing this together. Because when we share with someone else what we're noticing as we encounter God through Scripture, it helps us interpret and discern what God may be trying to say to us today. This is something we do all the time in our Get Real groups, uh, and it gives us a chance to just dig deeper, ask good questions. We often ask things like, you know, is this thing that we're hearing and sensing from God, is it consistent with God's character as revealed in Jesus? And this is the sort of thing that we do in our gatherings and groups together every week. In fact, it's what is happening in this room right now. You see it in the way that we engage with Scripture. You see it in the way that we pray each week for God to open our hearts and minds to hear what he wants us to hear. It's what happens if you hang out afterwards and you talk to a friend about what you felt God saying to you through the music and the message and the moments. This is what we do together because the Bible isn't just a text to study. We believe it's not just a checkbox that good Christians have to do every day. It's a way to hear from God and allow his spirit to actually speak to us and work in our hearts and our minds. So we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus so we can find our place in this story over and over again. Uh, I was hearing pastor and theologian Greg Boyd talk about this idea uh, not too long ago, and he said it really directly, as he uh, very often does. He said, we must learn to allow the Bible to inter interrogate us, not us to interrogate it. That one hit me. Because <laughs> the truth is, I am a control freak, and I like to interrogate the Bible. I like to analyze it and feel good about my daily reading habits. And it lets me keep a death grip on the pen so I'm ready to write my own story whenever I feel like it. But over the last several years, I'm learning to loosen up my grip. 
And so that what that means is practically, you know, I'm no longer in this place where I got to read the Bible through every single year, in a year, year after year. I still read my Bible all the time. I still love scripture, probably more than ever. But the ways I engage with it now are much slower. And they allow room for the Spirit to actually speak to me and hear what God wants to say to me in that moment. Part of it for me is I have to actively set aside this part of myself and be honest about the fact that I have a part of myself that wants to turn everything into a task on a checklist. And instead, I have to approach God's word with my heart ready to hear from him. I have to see it as an opportunity and allow him to be the one who leads. Because I need to hear from him every day, in every moment. And as I learn to see the Bible through the lens of Jesus, it's requiring me to surrender that pen back to the author, where, let's be honest, it belonged all along. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of different ways that the people in this room have engaged with Scripture. Maybe like me, you've been a big fan of the structured daily reading plans, or maybe you're a Bible app verse of the day kind of person. Some of you may have started engaging with Scripture through a children's Bible that you read to your kids on a regular basis. And some of you may have steered clear of reading the Bible altogether. Because let's be honest, oftentimes we felt intimidated, right? Or afraid we're not going to understand what we read. However you've engaged with scripture or not in the past, I want to invite you to look at it as a, as a fresh opportunity to spend time with Jesus and hear from him how to live and love like he does, to learn from what you read there. As we've seen in this series, the Bible is all about love. And Jesus is at the very center of that. And you have a part to play in that story. I have a part to play in the story. We, as a church, have a part to play in this story. And what a gift it is that we have a community where we're doing this together. We're engaging with the Bible in these kinds of ways. And when we come together weekly in gatherings and groups, we're able to remind each other of the big story. And we help each other find our way back to the story when we've lost the plot. Now, there's one way that Christians have been doing this for centuries. And it's a scripture reading uh, practice that we call Lexio Divina. Sounds a little, you know, sounds like a big word, it's Latin. <laughs> but I'm going to give you a quick crash course in it. We're going to practice it here together. Um, and then we're going to send you home with a resource that will help you practice this on your own and hopefully create a little more space to actually allow God to speak to you as you engage with Scripture throughout your week. So um, I want you to just get comfortable where you are. I'm going to grab a stool and do the same thing. Whatever helps you just kind of lean in and focus um, if it helps you to keep your eyes open and read along on the words that are going to be on the screen, you can do that. If it's easier for you to focus by closing your eyes so that you can just listen and hear, uh, I want to invite you to do that. But I am going to read through a passage of scripture that uh, Brian read to us in week one of this series. And I just want you to listen to it through the first time, uh, just as it is. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. The law doesn't do any, the love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. 
Okay, so now I'm going to read this through a little bit slower. And this time, I want you to just pay attention to a word or a phrase that stands out to you. Just listen for something to kind of spark or catch in your spirit. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. If a word or a phrase stuck out to you, I want to invite you now to just close your eyes, silently pray to God, talk to him about what's on your heart. Maybe talk to him about why uh, that word or phrase stood out to you. Uh, anything that's coming to mind, you can be real with God about it. If it feels silly or insignificant to you, be honest. If you're feeling distracted, talk to him about that. I'm just going to give you a minute in silence to be honest with God. And now I, I want you to just let your mind and your words fall silent. And we're just going to sit in the stillness, aware that God is with us, and see what he may have to say to you. If your mind wanders, just maybe bring it back to that word or that phrase that stood out to you. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your, your scriptures that help us to see that love has been the point all along. 
that Jesus has been the center and that invite us to enter into our role in the story. I pray that we would slow down, that we would create space to hear from you on a regular basis in our lives um, and that you would continually be opening our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Thank you that you are always at work and that you are always uh, willing to meet us in reality. In your name, amen. So we're going to have a little family moment. Like, what did you guys notice? What stood out to you? Anybody willing to share, like, what word or phrase stood out to you? Love is what fulfills the law. Love is what fulfills the law. Why? Still wrestling with that, right? Love is what fulfills the law. Yeah. That's the one that stood out to me, too. Love is what fulfills the law. I see a lot of heads nodded during that one. <laughs> Anybody else? What stood out to you? Obligation. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying that we often take on a lot of things that we think are our obligations when what's required of us is simply love. I love that. Anybody else? Love thy neighbor. Facebook neighbors, too? (laughs) That is some practical help. Yeah, responding well on the outside, but love maybe isn't the motivation. That's super helpful. Guys, yeah, there was somebody else? Yeah, getting all bogged down and trying to keep all the law, and it's the simplicity of focusing on loving your neighbor. I love that. I love how we read the same passage, and God spoke different things to each of us in this room together. That's exactly what we're talking about. This is the kind of thing we want to practice on a regular basis. Uh, To help you do that, uh, we have a resource ready for you. If you have your phone with you, I want you to go ahead and get it out and open the Meadow Heights app. Uh, If you don't have the app yet, now's a great time to go ahead and download that. Um, but on the app, I got mine up here. I'm going to make sure it's, it's there. <laughs> I checked it earlier. <laughs> There's a Lexio Divina um, icon on the app. If you open that, it will walk you through just those four movements of how we engage with Scripture just now. And then we've got uh, 30 passages of Scripture that we think are really great ones to practice with. Um, I know this week, uh, Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday, and we're getting ready to begin the Lent season Uh, So if you, like me, are somebody who observes that season and practices uh, these preparations as we move toward Easter, this may be a really great way for you to engage with the Bible over these next several weeks as we move toward Easter. 
Um, and one thing that has been really helpful to me is to have a, I'm, I'm, I'm a digital person normally, but I like paper copies for this sort of thing. So we have paper copies of this by all of the doors. Um, I stick one in my Bible, and that way I always have it with me to kind of remind me how to slow down and engage with scripture in this way, and to give me some ideas of some, some passages to zero in on. So I want to encourage you to grab those on your way out uh, today.